But I want to point out to you today, something has happened to this man that has been profound. And something that will happen to you if you will let the message of Habakkuk change your life today. And uh, I want to remind you, this book started off, how we got here was with a complaint. Habakkuk saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you? This nation's going down the toilet and you're doing nothing. And then God answers him. He doesn't like the reply. God's actually going to raise up a nation called Babylon to judge Israel. They're going to exile and destroy Jerusalem. They're going to exile the people back to Babylon. It's going to be a terrible time. And Habakkuk's shocked. And that produces more questions to Habakkuk. He's saying, how can you, God, a good God, use evil for your purpose? How can you use a, a, a wicked nation to punish a, a nation more righteous than they? And then God answers him with this one message. He says, don't you know, Habakkuk, the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. And he starts to talk about what happens to the person who chooses to walk in unbelief, the five woes of Babylon. And at the end of it all, there's this massive statement from God. But Yahweh, the Lord, is in his temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Who can, who can criticize this God? Who can bring him to judgment? His ways are mysterious and powerful and altogether wonderful. And so Habakkuk's last response is this prayer that he prays that we're going to look at. And really, I've got a very simple sermon this morning. I want to look at four characteristics of a person who decides to live by faith. Four things that we can look at in Habakkuk's life that we can learn from in terms of what faith looks like. And the first is this, is that faith is characterized by our hearts after God. Man, after everything, what is Habakkuk doing in verse 1, he says, a prayer, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet is, after all that has happened, this man is still seeking God. I wonder if you like that this morning. God tells you something you don't like or does something that you don't want. Are you like that? Where you say, God, it doesn't matter what you decide to do in the end, I want you you see, we have a risk here after our nice couple of weeks of neat sermons on Habakkuk is we can say, well, you know, we can be quite academic. Here are the four steps, you know, on how to move from fear to faith. Well, here are the three steps on how to wait on God. It sounds so neat, right? It sounds so academic. If you, if you study those points and you recite them, you'll get 100% in your test. Let me tell you, that's not what's driving Habakkuk here. You know what's driving Habakkuk? Yes, he loves God. He wants God more than anything. And the, the seedbed of faith is not your academia, my friends. The seedbed, what's going to make you want to apply faith. You might even know what to do in the midst of needing to move from fear to faith. But the thing that's going to make you do it is you want God. You want Him more than anything. And this man's been in the ring. He's been smacked around it, but he's, he's just had a gut punch. Some of you know what it's like. You, you've been praying for God to come through, and suddenly you get the worst answer possible, or there's no, no answer at all, and there's this gut punch. And he's had to pick himself up, and he's had to say, God, what are you doing? He's got a bit of a blood nose, and he's been winded. And in the end, what's his response? He's coming to God saying, God, I'm seeking you. I'm responding in prayer. You see, the kind of faith that Habakkuk is talking about burns in our hearts after God. And I would have failed if I had taught you what to do, but not pointed to the one that it's for. My friends, you might be living an imperfect life. It's okay. But the one thing you must get right in your life is you must go after God. God doesn't mind weakness. He doesn't mind ignorance. 
He doesn't even mind making mistakes. What he wants is you, and what he wants from you is to want him. And this faith that it's Habakkuk saying that God spoke to him as a direct, direct message. Habakkuk, the righteous live by faith. It's not an academic faith. It's not a faith that sort of is in a clinical test tube and you sort of have your test kit and you, no, no, this kind of faith is burning. It's burning in our heart that has one object, which is to know God and to see his glory. I want to be clear as well. His faith is not a crutch to cope in life. It helps. But this isn't a self-help thing where all that this faith is is to help us feel somewhat settled when we're upset. That's a good side effect to have, but let me tell you now, this is much more. This is much more. Is this man is being driven by a thirst for God. And in the end, his desire is rewarded. Remember what Jeremiah said, in the fulfillment of Habakkuk's prophecy, these Israelites get exiled. And Jeremiah is this weeping prophet. And he prophesies and he says, hey, he says, yeah, Woo. seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your hearts. He's even saying to these exiles, it's not over yet. Don't worry. You've made some bad sin. In actual fact, you've been dropped, kicked out of the promised land. Your covenant, in a sense, has been broken. You don't have the temple. It's a devastating situation. Such a mess of a nation. The nation's going, is there any hope for recovery? Maybe that's you this morning. My life is not what I thought it would be. It's a mess. Let me tell you, even now in the mess, in the exile, where you feel so far from God, there's a hope for you, my friend. And the hope is this. You seek Him. You seek Him with all your heart. You go after Him. And let me tell you, God loves to answer faith. That's not academic. Faith, it doesn't almost mean meaning that he's just this abstract thing that helps us move psychologically from this fear to peace. No, no, it is this living, burning relationship to say, God, this is for you. It's for your glory. There is one thing that helps you resist sin and to stand and to say, God, I am going to take my stand at the watch post. All of these things that Habakkuk says, it is in this, rooted in this one thing that he is after God. His eyes are on one thing. It's God. And he's learned. He said, oh, Lord, I have heard the report of, your, of you, the message, he says in verse 1. Verse 2, verse two, he says this, I have by faith believed what I've been taught. I've believed the Bible. I have chosen to obey your words. I've heard your message that came to my life. Oh, but now your work, oh Yahweh, do I fear. You see, what's happened to Habakkuk is he's got to know this God and he's in awe when last were you in awe of God? Have you ever been in awe of God? Because that's the right response to a God who reveals himself in faith. Let me tell you, the more you go after God, the more he has to change the way that what you thought he was like. It's this most wonderful experience. He knew the message. Oh, but now he's learned to fear, to be in awe of this God who has met him and he's seen, does his own thing in his own way, in his own time. And Habakkuk has learned to bless it and say, God, you're right. You're right. That's what he's after here. Faith is characterized by heart after God. Second point is this. Faith is characterized by a concern for God's kingdom. Do you know what strikes me as I read Habakkuk? You must think about, now, if you have kids, or let's think about you've got maybe parents that aren't here today. If you were Habakkuk, the word to Habakkuk was this. These Babylonians are going to come in they're going to wipe out your nation. They're going to smash your city. 
They're going to take your home and make it rubble. They're going to destroy your system and freedom of worship. The temple's going to be gone. They're going to burn your fields. They are going to, they are, remember, they're bloodthirsty. They're probably going to rape your wives. They're probably going to rape your, who knows what they do? They are, they are vicious. This word that Habakkuk has to hear, it's personal. It touches his very property, his very family, his very faith. Now, I had to be honest. If that was me this morning, I would be praying, Lord, would you please protect my family? Lord, would you please protect my children? Lord, would you please protect my property? Lord, might I be the one who's not going to be exiled? I would be praying for my immediate concern. You with me? I think you would be the same, wouldn't you? How am I going to provide for my family? Are we going to make it through the famine? Are we going to do, I, I would be going, maybe we've got to increase our savings every month so that, you know, we've got like a vault of bread that hopefully doesn't get moldy so we can access it while everyone else is dying. I can keep my family alive. Not once does Habakkuk pray about himself. In his response to prayer, what is he praying for? He says, God, in the midst of the years, revive your work. In the midst of the years, increase the knowledge of your glory in the nation. In wrath, remember mercy. What he is concerned about is how is God's kingdom going to move forward in the midst of the turmoil caused by these Babylonians. Let me tell you, that is what faith is. Faith is being concerned by things much bigger than just ourselves. Do you know what the side effect is of going after God? It is to be concerned about his glory. Can I just share the sin in my own life this morning? I'm not very concerned about God's glory. If SBC does okay, and I at least make it to my retirement, and the church is in decent shape, well, well done, Matt. Someone else's problem to hand over. But I keep my nose clean. I don't fall into any terrible sin. My kids are well-behaved. They get good jobs. They go to good universities. They have good believing spouses. They have children that carry on the generation of faith. That's great. I'm happy. I'm done. That's what I'm actually driven by. You know, if I was Solomon and God had to wake me up and I'd say, Matt, what is the one thing that you want to ask me for? I wouldn't pray for wisdom to lead this church. I'll be praying for the salvation of Sarah and Elijah. Honestly, my heart is that my family comes first. And in a sense, what I felt the Lord said to me, Matt, is that you've reduced me to a household God. Do you know what the household God was in these days? In these old days, what they used to do is every family would make their own, they'd go to the idol maker, or they'd, make, they'd get a, a piece of wood called an Asherah, and they'd carve out, and they would put these statues of Baal, or Baal, however you say it, and, and these Asherah, and they'd put it on the mantelpiece, and the purpose of these household gods was sheer self-interest. They were called fertility gods. You know what fertility gods were for? It was that your wife would be fertile and bear lots of kids. That she would have babies. How many of us praying for people who can't fall pregnant? Or are concerned even, it's, it's a growing rise. I'm telling you, fertility is a big thing. Your crops, the fertility of your crops, that there would be enough produce so that you wouldn't die of hunger. For safety over your household. For, for the safety of your kids. For health. These are, were the purposes of these household gods. They were there to ensure that your domain, your kingdom, was okay. And I thought the Lord said to me, Matthew, that's how you worship me. I exist so that your little bubble doesn't burst. Let me tell you, that's not the faith of Habakkuk. His eye is not on the mantelpiece. His eyes on the nations, because friends, when you start to seek the God of this Bible, 
and you start to take seriously the prayer life that Jesus calls you to in the Lord's Prayer like we did this morning, life and God and the kingdom is much bigger. And this call to the kingdom, friends, it goes much bigger than your family. Now, don't sit there saying, must I never pray for my family? No, I'll get to that in a moment. But the thing is this, are you even concerned that God's glory is going down the tubes or is not being uh, worshipped or being advanced in this nation or in the nations of the world? Here is Habakkuk, what's gripping him, he's saying, God, okay, I'm dealing with this fact that you're bringing in the Babylonians, that you're going to get rid of the, the, the Israelites from Jerusalem to cure them from this idolatry, but what then? What then? What are you going to do? How are you going to advance your kingdom? What's on his mind is, my family's here, yes, and I know that I'm supposed to be a good father, and all that, but the main thing is, in this life, how are you working? How can I work with it? And how can I see your glory come? After all, what kind of example are we to be as parents here? Can I just give you a little bit of an encouragement, parents? Your job is to show what it's like to be motivated for the glory of God. The way you use your finances, the way you think about your relationships, what your kids are to, touch, to, to, to get from you is you don't just live for them. You don't just pray for them and exist for their, their happiness and their welfare and their advancement. Let me tell you now, your kids have to learn that we don't just serve the God of the household, a household God. We serve the God of the nations. This God has an agenda. And my friend, you're a part of it. It's the most wonderful thing to know that faith is an invitation to participate in advancing God's kingdom. Your life purpose is not to be just a good mommy or a good daddy or a good sister or a good brother or a good colleague or a good friend. Let me tell you, your life's purpose is what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, is to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Oh, and these other things that your household needs, God promises. Why does he promise? For your comfort? No, so that you can fulfill the call of the kingdom of God on your life. It's the most exciting way to live. You know what our problem is? Is we are so small in the way we relate to God. Do you know one of the roots of depression, what it is, is just a loss of purpose. I can't see where this life is going and figure it out. It's too big for me. Let me tell you, the one who goes after God sees God in his right perspective. And what he sees is this God is calling me to partner with his eternal agenda. And it's big. And let me tell you, when you walk into the school where you work, when you walk into the office where you work, when you walk into the family where you were born into, he's at work. He's at work. He's even at work in the nations through you. Habakkuk is this one man praying for the nation. He's praying that God would move in the nation. And let me tell you, he gets an answer. It's the most exciting answer. He gets a little glimpse of what God is going to do. It's available to you. And I want to say to you today, will you accept the invitation to apply your faith to a much bigger call than just the household? Now, should we pray? Absolutely. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Give us this day, our daily. Let me tell you, bread, you live on the bread line, right? But what comes before that? Seek first. No. Our Father, I didn't have been there. Thy kingdom come. <laughs> Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in him. My need for bread, my need for money, my need for work, my need for relationship, my need for health, my, that all comes under this constraining big need to say I exist, to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Is it possible? Yes. Otherwise, Jesus would never ask you to pray. Are you a part of it? Yes. Otherwise, God would never have saved you. Don't you know that your work, according to Ephesians 2 verse 10, is before the foundations of the world. He's prepared things for you to do in his kingdom. 
why am I getting so passionate about this this morning? <laughs> Friends, we need Habakkuk's in our day. I don't like to be this kind of person, but it's, you know, sometimes to be prophetic, you have to be real. And we are in trouble. Friends, the churches are emptying. Look at the demographic this morning. How many young people under 30 are here this morning? This baton of faith, it's not being passed on. And we have a generation that is rising up like in judges who does whatever is good in their eyes. They don't know the glory of God. They, don't, they have not seen God move. They don't have a faith of the Bible. They've got the faith of Netflix. They've got the faith of social media. And they've got the faith of postmodernism, which, let me tell you, is leading them down the tubes. I mean, if you are not even certain whether you are a male or a female, if you're not even certain about the fundamental aspects of your identity, how do you orientate your life? How do you even begin to understand how I live as a human being? I want to say it's not just out there, it's in the church. And friends, we are got to, we've got to be like Habakkuk. Are we disturbed by these things? When last have we seen conversions? When last, how much of our conversation is being shaped by, you know, in our day it was like this. Habakkuk is going, this should not be. And I want to ask you, how do you see your role in that? Doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how old. We are to pray like Habakkuk, Lord, revive your work. It might take a few years in the midst of years, but revive it in our day. Let me tell you, the lie that we believe is God's best has already happened. It's not true. And we're in a sweet spot of grace at SBC. God has been kind to us. But let me tell you, his goodness is far bigger than just making sure home base is okay. Will you be a Habakkuk today? Who knows what God will say to you? We need people to pray. We need people to be convinced of this gospel. We need people who are convinced of the Bible that they read. They live as though Jesus is real and he is coming back and there is such a thing as the kingdom of darkness. There is such a thing as the kingdom of God and this kingdom's going to win. A life spent on the kingdom is not some sort of risk where it could be a complete failure. Let me tell you, when you stand before Jesus, you will never have regretted praying too much. When you stand before Jesus, you will never have regretted in your fumbling way like myself, trying to share faith with family, friends, every opportunity you have, you try and talk about Jesus. You will never forget. You'll never be ashamed. You'll never ever regret not being bold for Jesus. Daily needs. Let me tell you, the number of days are written in his book. You will not be robbed of one of them. Don't worry about that. Yeah, sure, tell him about it because we get stressed about it. But be concerned for the greater purpose for which he's supplying all those things for. And that is, my friend, how are you seeking the kingdom of God where you work, live, and play? How are you seeking it in the nations? You know the reason why we don't pray for the nations is because it's got so little attachment to ourselves. That's why. We're not interested because it doesn't benefit home base. Let me tell you, the kind of faith that Habakkuk is talking about is a God of the nations. The nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. The third point is this. You want to know what to pray for, by the way? Pray 
Verse 2, over and over, pray for revival, which is life. Pray for an increased knowledge of God and pray for mercy that the Lord would pour out his, his spirit. But I'll, I'll leave it for someone else to preach on someday. The third point is this. The bigger the ask in faith, the bigger the answer. It's another thing that challenged me. I hope that you don't misunderstand me this morning, but I'm, I, there is something to Habakkuk's audaciousness that God seems to answer. And it comes through in, in verse 3. Suddenly, he sees this vision. It, it's so profound. His knees knock. God answers him. It, it's not exactly the way he wanted. He hasn't brought national revival yet. But God gives him a glimpse of what he's going to do. And God can do that for you. And there it says, there, he opens up. He says, God came from Timon. He's praying, Lord, come down. Rain the heavens, come down. And he sees a vision of God coming from Timon, which is uh, near Mount Sinai, this holy God. And he sees the splendor, of his splendor covering the heavens. And he sees the whole earth being filled with the praises of this God. He catches a prophetic vision of what's going to happen on the day Christ comes again. And all of the glory of the Lord is going to fill this earth. But you see, the point is this, is Habakkuk gets an answer in relation to his ask. And so will you. In a sense, James puts it like this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then he says, you don't get because you ask with wrong motives. Let me tell you, the purest motive you can pray with, you can never doubt a prayer that says this, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be. The purest motive for the Christian is a burning heart desire for the glory of God to be manifest in the church and the nations. Let me tell you, if you pray like that, you get God's attention and he loves to answer prayers like that because the motives are pure. He rewards it. But notice it comes at the end of the book. <laughs> it took some time. But I want to say to you this morning, friends, if you are not willing to apply your faith, you will not get the answer. And I'm not saying it's an answer you might like. I'm not saying you'll get what you want. What I will say is you'll get an answer. And the point is this, is where in Jesus' ministry could he do no work? It was in his hometown of Nazareth. He says, I can't even do any more. He marveled at these people's unbelief. Do you know what unbelief does? Is it grieves the Holy Spirit. It makes God uh, it offends God in a sense. Unbelief is, is the antithesis of trust in his character and nature. And these Jews who should have known better, I said, this is Joseph's kid, man. Who's this guy trying to do? He says he could he just heal a few people. But the problem was this, was their unbelief. They had no requests, no expectations of the Savior in their midst. And the, the result was he didn't do anything virtually. But then you get the example of the Canaanite woman who is outside of the covenant of Israel. You must think how massive it is. This is a foreigner, and her daughter's struggling with demon possession. <laughs> and this, this lady comes to Jesus and says, you've got to heal this, this daughter of mine. She's going crazy. She's nuts. I don't know what to do. She's trying to kill herself. And why does Jesus say, I'm not going to give the bread of the children or the children's bread to the dogs? And she says this, don't you know even the crumbs fall off the table and the dogs get it? And Jesus goes, great is your faith. He commends her. He says, this is your daughter's heal. Wow, you're asking so, so audacious. Now, in that case, she got what she wanted. But let me tell you, if you want to get something from God, let me change it. If you want to ask something from God, how big is it? How big is it? Let me tell you, God might answer your request for a nation. 
God might answer your request, but make it big. It might not be what you like, but make it big because there's something about God matching the faith ask with how he answers. And I want to remind you just quickly before I get to my final point, where do I get this from? Wouldn't you like, oh, let me be careful of my words here. Where do I get this example from? Well, think about Daniel. Daniel's concerned about this nation. They're sitting, it's about 70 years in, in Babylon. And they think, when are we going to go home? And he starts to pray. I mean, he's having a tough time as an exiled Jew. He's far from the temple, far from the promised land. But he's praying. He's praying. And suddenly, after a number of weeks praying, the angel comes from God and says, Daniel, most dearly beloved man, this is what God's going to do in, amongst the kingdoms. Or what about Nehemiah when he hears about the broken walls? He's so concerned about the glory of God. He's weeping. He's upset when he hears how Jerusalem's being the laughing stock of the nations. And he prays and then God leads him and the, the nation's rebuilt. The, the walls are rebuilt under his leadership. Or what about, what about Abraham? He was so concerned about Sodom and Gomorrah. Are we? Praying. He gets to negotiate with God. How amazing is that? No, my friends, who knows what God will let you into in response to your ask of faith. Pray big. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There's nothing small about that prayer. And lastly, oh, wait, look at what Habakkuk sees. It's so massive in his response. His knees are shaking. His rottenness has entered my brain. It's a spiritual experience. He can hardly contain. The answer comes to him in such a form and shape that it matches the ask. My last point today is the triumph of faith. Oh, man, how many of us quote the scripture but have never seen the inside until now? Though the fig tree should not blossom. Nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Oh man, something has happened to this man. He's experienced the triumph of living by faith. What do I mean? Is Habakkuk has come to a decision in his life. And the decision is this. He's learned that his security does not come from what he sees. You must remember this is personal. Habakkuk could lose all of this in his lifetime. His fruit trees, his cattle, his sheep pen, he's about to lose. But he decides. He says, huh, all of this is taken. Huh, I'm not going to be troubled. I'm not going to be upset. In actual fact, I will rejoice. I will keep on rejoicing in the Lord. What is he saying? I am no longer going to find my security in what I see. Let me take it to the modern day version. When you see the fruit basket empty, when you see the cupboard starting to get bare, when you see there's no meat in the freezer, when you see that the bank balance is going down, what are you going to choose to find your security in, my friend? Habakkuk realizes that stuff if I go beyond all of that and I live by faith, I go, what's behind all of that? 
Who owns and who's been giving me the food that's coming into the cupboard? Who owns and has been giving me the food that's coming into my freezer? Whose own has been giving to me all the money that's coming to my bank account? Has it been my work? Has it been the economy? Has it been the government? Has it been the faithful sort of trading mechanisms and integrity of these big superpowers in the world maintaining the channels of trade open? No, my friend, it's God's. It's God's. God is keeping you alive. And let me tell you the wonderful thing about God is He never changes. So, this is the way faith works. When the cupboard's getting bare and the bank account's going low and the fruit basket is empty, the right response is, has God changed towards me? No, therefore he's doing something. I might not understand it. I might not be able to get it. But because my focus is for the kingdom, he's working in me and he's in the bigger picture. He's working in the bigger picture. So even if a nation starts to experience all sorts of struggles, let me tell you, I'll have to be as bold as this this morning. Do you know, God might decide ISIS is going to cross the border and come into South Africa. He might. The one way he might choose to arouse the church to true faith in the God of the Bible is to test her through persecution. How many of you would choose that? Let me tell you, God in his wisdom, God in his mercy, is working all the time for good. And so you can be, I think it was David, who said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Because the way the Christian thinks is God's goodness isn't just for this life. God's goodness isn't just for this cupboard. Do you know what he's going to do? He's going to provide for me for eternity. And if I have to say yes to an empty cupboard for a while, but his kingdom's getting advanced, but he's working, and he's working in my family, he's working in my faith, I'm getting to trust him more. I'm getting to see God move because of the pain that might be coming into my life. I'm okay with that because I'm getting more of God. And those that were far from him, they're getting him. That's the way we think. We seek first the kingdom. Oh, because don't you know the best is yet to come? We think of God's provision just for this life. Do you know Jehovah Jireh is so sufficient, he will provide forever for you. We don't walk by sight, my friends. We walk by faith, and faith is a choice to fix their eyes, fix our eyes on what doesn't change. We go beyond what we see. We go behind the one who's orchestrating all things for his glory and his good. Is it hard? Yes. Does it require humility? Yes. Does he do things we don't like? Yes. But ultimately, we believe him. We believe that his yes is as good as his no. We believe he's working for the greater good, and we don't understand it. But what I choose to do, by, I choose to live by faith, is to say, I fix my eyes on him. He hasn't changed towards me. That's what I believe when I don't see it in my circumstances, when I don't see it in the nation. Oh, we must be concerned about the nations. We must be praying for the church. Oh, but what we say to ourselves is this, God hasn't changed. Is he going to lose? No, my friends. But faith is going, I will rejoice in him. His unchanging nature and character and his dedication to fulfill his word. And what a way to live. Do you know when you do that, do you know how much ultimate responsibility you give up for your life, for your family? Peace. That a competent God that can work the nations. He's doing Babylon and Israel and the next one. He can, he can arrange the, the, the map board of the world. Don't you think he can arrange your life? You see, the benefit of walking by faith is you learn that this God is competent to lead 
and he leads well. And you've got to trust it. That's what a shepherd does. You trust the shepherd, even the shepherd of nations. But today, friends, this joy and this peace, please don't leave this morning and let it be an abstract experience. It's for you. The righteous shall live by faith. Might we live it well. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we want to surrender to you this morning. We know faith calls us to obedience and to do things in response to your word, but Lord, faith is also relinquishing control to the God who's able to be in control. And I just, Lord, what an opportunity for us to respond to it. Say, Lord, as the eight o'clock service, we trust you. We trust you. And God, I pray in the weeks ahead, it wouldn't just be trust for our households. There's a lot going down. We know that, Lord. No, we want to trust you in you moving in the nations. Oh, Lord, might our prayer life increase in breadth, in heart and in depth, Lord. Might we be as audacious as what you command us to be. You grip our hearts with a fresh sense of joy and peace in what it means to worship a God who's so competent to lead. We rejoice in you, Jesus. We rejoice in your leadership this morning. We want to affirm it to the hilts. We want to say thank you so much for always being true to who you are. Help us grow in trusting you, we pray. Amen. Amen.